Hello and welcome. My name is Tim Sudano and this is Paranormal Insight. And today is my birthday. Which is why this is going to be very short and sweet. I'm going to tell you a story that happened locally here in San Jose where I live. It's my freshman year of high school, and I'll risk dating myself. Uh, this was 1986, if I'm not mistaken. I was a freshman in high school, and I heard this ooh, blood-curdling tale. Now, for those who may or may not know, in San Jose, there's an ongoing legend about... Well, they're cannibal albinos in the in the foothills. Now, I hear most of you laughing when I mention that. But there may be some truth to that claim. But first, let me tell you the story that I heard my freshman year of high school. So, Hicks Road in San Jose runs up into and connects with, as far as, you know, as the crow flies, um, the Santa Cruz Mountains. The back end of the Santa Cruz Mountains is where the story takes place, uh, near what's now known as the Quicksilver um preserve you can go hiking there and all that fun stuff but back in the day they mined mercury there and hicks road was established as a conveyance from the mines down to town after the mercury was processed now it should be noted that hicks road connects with another road called old almaden road and basically forms a loop around this very large preserve uh, set into the Quicksilver Hills. Behind the Quicksilver Hills is a mountain range that is the back end of the Santa Cruz Hills, as I mentioned before. Next to that is Mount Umanum, which has a retired Air Force radar station on top of it. It's a big cube sitting on top of a long, dormant volcano. Well, here's the proper story, now that you have a layout of the geography. Group of kids go, and uh, not if you, if you head up Hicks Road, the, it's, it's a beautiful drive, especially now that it's been refurbished a little bit. The road has been refurbished. But uh, back in the day, you go up a little bit, but you don't go too far because those mountain people will come and get you. And yes, we're still talking about the cannibal albinos. <laughs> I know. I hear you laughing once again, but here's the story. So a group of kids uh, get together and they're going to hang out. And it's mostly young couples. So, um, And they say, hey, you know what? Let's go do something fun. Let's go see if we can find those albinos up there in the hills. 
and everyone goes, come on, we got beers, we got smoke, uh, smokes, not smokes, cigarettes? Were they smoking cigarettes or the weed? I can't recall. Uh, probably both. Anyway, we got beers, we got the cigarettes, or, or whatever. Um, and we're good. Let's just stay here, chill out, and party. And they're at the base of Hicks Road. Now, there's a little turnout there where you can, you know, hide from whoever and have a little bit of privacy and hang out. Maybe it was a makeout spot here and there, too. I never personally went there, uh, but um, that's where the story starts. <laughs> at the very base of Hicks Road. Now, Hicks Road goes pretty much uphill up until you hit the very back of the Quicksilver Range, and then you connect with Old Downwinden Road, and you go downhill, down the back of the mountain. So, they say, okay, well, I'm going. And naturally, no one wants to feel like a chicken, so they all agree. Everyone piles into their cars, and they go screaming up Hicks Road. And to say they went screaming up would imply they went quickly. You can for a while. Back then, though, the road actually lost its oh, cohesion. <laughs> the asphalt got choppy up fast, and eventually you were on an old-school dirt road. Like it was, like, what, almost 100 years ago when the place was being mined. So... They get up there, they pull over, and they don't really know what to do at this point. <laughs> so they said, okay, let's get some beers in us. So they turn on their headlights and they blast their radios and they're drinking beers and having fun and there's couples making out and all that fun stuff. And one guy says, you know what? I got to go do some business behind the tree. Drain the lizard, as some folks used to say. I dropped something, excuse me. And um, so he disappears. Everyone says, yeah, okay, see you in a second. And time goes by. More time goes by. And this guy must have drinking like 55 gallons of something or other in order to have to go to pee this long because it's been at least 10, 20 minutes and the girlfriend starts to get worried. His girlfriend starts to get worried. And she says, where's this guy? And she calls back for him. No response. And everyone's kind of stopped at this point. It's like, ah, he's playing a joke on us, isn't he? He's going to pretend like he's missing or whatever. And he's going to jump out and scare us. So they all go, okay, we know your stupid plan. We'll play your stupid game. They all start ambling into this little area where he disappeared to. But all they find behind the tree he was using is a shoe. His shoe. Okay. And they start going, nah, 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 this is still a joke. Okay, this is good, dude. Come on out. Joke's over. You win. All the, all the oxen free and all that. Nope. No answer. This is stupid. What's going on? The girlfriend's more annoyed than anything. And uh, there's this little deer path. Even at night. Visible enough, I guess. 
I suppose there was moonlight or something or some that had flashlights. I can't remember which, but I know for a fact, they actually go back and get flashlights because they can't find this dude. He's gone. It's gotta be at least 30 to 45 minutes by the time they finally say, okay, now we have to actually go looking for this dork. He's probably just playing a big practical joke on us. And it wasn't unlike him to play such jokes. So they get the flashlights and they go up this deer trail and they find his jacket way up this deer trail. And this deer trail is on an incline. Remember it's next to a hill, a mountain range. And, um, it's a nice jacket. It's those old school members only jackets for those of you who remember those. And there's a tear in the shoulder seam. Like someone grabbed him and, uh, pulled you know pulled on him real hard and tore the shoulder that that's what it looks like but the jacket has been discarded just kind of willy-nilly haphazardly and it's a members only jackets back in the day if you're collecting them now you know they're kind of expensive back in the day they're still kind of expensive and um so now they're extra worried now they're thinking something legitimate has happened to them and maybe the albino legend the cannibal albino legend is true (laughs) and again i hear you laughing but things are starting to get scary for these kids so they cautiously continue and one or two of them keep griping they say man we should call the cops no no we've been drinking beer we've been smoking the weed we don't need a you know that on our record i don't want parents to find out and all that so fine and they proceed up this deer trail and it meets a slightly more level not by much but uh road that is just two treads very well worn dual tread road um so there's there's two treads that are muddy and dirt and all that fun stuff, very well worn into the earth, and just grass in the middle kind of a thing. So they hit that, and they go, well, either he fell down the trail or he went up, or perhaps he was taken up. So they sit there in the dark for the longest time debating which way to go, and a couple of them go down the trail, and they come back a little bit later and say, no, I, we didn't find anything. There's no signs of anything down there. Okay, well, then we got to go up. So they go up this road. Walking almost single file along one of the treads in this road. And they finally hit this little lip, this plateau of sorts. And that's where they find a second shoe. Same shoe. A mate to the one they found. Definitely this missing uh, guy's shoe. This kid. And, um, well, kid to me now. Uh, He was like, what, 16, 17? And they hear... Laughter coming out of a distant uh, 
like old workhouse. It's it back in the day they had these little kind of like shacks slash apartments for the workers because going into town to come back up was a major hassle. So they just housed them up there in the forest in what is basically, um, like I said, a, a shack. You had a, enough place for someone to sleep, someone to cook some food, and maybe, you know, set up a radio. And But it, that's about it. And you're talking maybe a, something of the size of a larger jail cell, like a 8 by 8 kind of a deal. And I hear laughter. It's coming from inside the building. And their first thought is, oh my God, this guy find another party and just uh, uh, totally abandon us. But that's not making too much sense because the ground is pretty rough. Remember, you're next to a dormant volcano. So it's blush greenery over jagged rocks. You cut your feet up pretty good. Especially without shoes. Um, that thing came out correctly. He he was he wouldn't be able to make it up this road barefoot. Um, is what I'm trying to say. So he, <laughs> they rather, hear this muddled laughter coming from one of these workhouses, and there's a light. It's like this older uh, street lamp. It's just sitting there, kind of like. It shouldn't be there, but someone put it there because you need light at the top of this place. And it's casting down on a bunch of old cars from various years, including one or two more modern trucks and that type of thing. But I mean, going back to the 20s or 30s, some of these chassis, they're rusted out, but you can tell what they were. And... Um, there's a few meager lights on in some of the other workhouses there, but the one more in front of them on this little plateau area is where the sound's coming from. There's a light emanating from a window on the side of this workhouse. And so they say, you know, what's going on? We should be quiet. So they are. They're quiet. They sneak up. And uh, some of the folks stay behind at the edge of the road just in case something goes wrong, they can book it. A couple more braver kids get up there and they peek in the window and they see this older lady. And she's exceptionally pale looking. And she appears to have silver hair. And it's kind of roughly tied back extra long. And she's wearing a an older style dress with a like a little bustle in the back kind of a thing. I haven't seen that in, what, 60, 70 years at, at that time, if not later. So they watch, looking around. There's a dim, dim like a 40-watt bulb lighting the interior of this thing. And it's meager, but it's enough to see her stirring a pot over an old stove. Big, bigger, larger, you know, stew pot cauldron kind of a thing, right? And she's got her ladle in there, and it's it's clanging in there every time she's stirring. Click, clang, click, clang. 
and she tests the broth and it's kind of grody looking. It's grayish, maybe reddish too. And it smells disgusting. Like wet dog that caught fire for lack of a better term. That's how they described it. It was like wet dog, but on fire. So it was smoky wet dog, I guess. But that's a horrible stench if you put those two things together. And this lady's kind of lapping it up, nods, nah, needs a little more, takes a one of those larger salt uh, cans and just kind of heaps in the salt. Same thing with a pepper can, heaps in the pepper, and a few other spices get heaped in. She stirs it up more, mixes it up. And... <laughs> As she tastes again, she pulls out this long, stringy piece of something. It looks foreign. It looks like a, a dead mouse crawled in there and got into the food. And she's like, oh, that's gross. And she just peels it out and whips it off to the side. It smacks the window. And it's a bloody piece of flesh with hair on one side, like a scalp. Or part of a scalp. And these these kids watching like, oh crap, it's real, it's true. But to make matters worse, that action elicits a chuckle from three huge dudes that are barely visible in the shadows. And they have kind of real pale skin. And they're laughing. <laughs> kind of like... um they compared him to Slough in Goonies and that big too. And one of them, and they're all sitting around this little table, little table. I'm talking three huge linebacker looking dudes sitting around a tiny little coffee table, like it's a dining table. And one of them, when he smiles, barely has any, barely has, but two, three, four teeth in his head. So hygiene is not at the top of these people's list. But uh, it, it's easy enough to make them rambunctious and, <laughs> and they crack up at this. Almost like they're behaving like children. So the lady says something. They couldn't understand her. It was some bastardized either English or German. And it was just like grunts and growls, but it had, it had, it was language to them because they, the three dudes go super quiet and these kids are freaking out. The legends appear to be true and their friend is missing and they think he might be tonight's dinner. So they pull back, they go to the group waiting by the edge of the road, and they explain what's going on, and they say, oh my god, we've got to, we've got to tell someone what's going on. Uh, okay, you know, who do we go to? We've been drinking, we can't go to the cops. We may have to bite the bullet and go to the cops, one kid says. It's like, alright, maybe you're right. Um, but one or two of us should stay here, keep an eye on things just in case 
they leave or something like that happens. So uh, the group splits in half, basically. There's like eight kids total, including the missing one. So half the group goes back to the cars. This other half of the group, it's about three individuals. I think one of them was the girlfriend, brave little thing. And, uh, and the, and I think the other two were two guys, two boys that stayed with her and they start looking around the rest of this camp. They're being as quiet as they can, but it's not easy. There's a bunch of dry leaves. They're making all kinds of noise and, uh, they alert some like gatekeeper type individual who jumps out of nowhere. I mean, he is hidden. Apparently he's been watching them and he says some gibberish and points a gun at him. And, uh, he waits for them to get closer to one of the other workhouses that's there. And they are, these kids are scared. Hands go up. Well, this gatekeeper, for lack of a better term, um, isn't very coordinated. And neither he trips on something or he trips over his own feet and he goes down. And it's then that they see where this guy was hiding. He wasn't just sitting there as protection for the camp. He was holding on to their friend. So they book it and they and they, they book it for this kid, right? And they get him and he's tied up, he's trussed up, and it looks like he's getting prepared to be put on a spit or something, because he is really tied up, almost like a mummy mummy, but with rope. And uh, so they cut him free as best they can. I think with pocket knives, so it took a little bit, and and this this individual who went down stays down. So he's hurt somehow, but it's a lucky break for them because they get their friend free, and you know they've been collecting his shoes and jacket. They get his shoes and jacket back on him, and all four of them book it down the road, hit that deer trail, go back down to the cars, and they're just in time to be met by the police. Because apparently the cops had word that there were teenagers up there and they were looking for them. <laughs> so the police are there. They explain what's going on. They said they're right up there. And the police say, you're kidding me. You, the stupid albino story. Are you serious? They're not believing that they're not taking anything. Yeah, I mean, they think they're being... Take it for a ride. But they said, you got to check it out. Look what happened. They tore me, you know, they took me. I was just taking a pee and they took me. And I up there and, they, and they're insistent. They're so insistent. They tell the story like three or four times on the side of the road. And the cops say, fine, fine, we'll investigate. And they roll up. And they, they go down the Hicks Road a little bit, and there's this little tiny, barely visible cutaway, and that's where that two-lane, two-tread road starts. And uh, so they start up there, and they can see the cop cars ascend the road up in the distance there, and they watch. 
and they watch and they listen and they're being interviewed by a couple of leftover police officers there. And then you hear a bang, 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 shots fired, comes over the radio, Re- uh, police on the ground there, um, you know, relay back to central. Yeah. Confirmed shots fired. We're going up and they tell the kids stay here. Don't move. Do they listen? Of course not. <laughs> they jump in their cars with remaining of them and blast off the, as the cops go up into the hills. And they all made it to school the following week and told that story. That they had survived the albino cannibals. Now, there's a few fun holes in the story. I'm not going to lie to you. And there's something that says this whole albino thing is complete horse pucky. And it's picking out albinos, and I'm not doing that. I dated an albino, oh, sorry. I dated an albino lady for a short while, and it was quite fun. But, um... It leaves one to wonder, because there's several pieces of evidence. And I'm going to direct you to a YouTube user called 10 Millimeter. Uh, sorry, he's a podcaster, a uh, video podcaster called 10 millimeter. And he was doing a little trek across the country, if not the state, I can't remember which, where he was touring all the fun, weird spaces in, I maybe it was just California on his motorcycle. And he went up Hicks road and he told the story about, you know, what happened about the, the blood uh, um, albinos who are cannibals and all that fun stuff. And it caused a bit of a sensation on his channel because someone about a year ago, a realtor, shared with him some very interesting photographs shot during the day. And if you listen to my story and you look at those photographs that he shares in the video linked below, you're going to see some very interesting things. If you dig deeper into the blood albinos, I don't typically like that term, but that's what they're actually called. You'll find that there is precedence and history starting with a couple of twins in the Bernal family, B-E-R-N-A-L, who were albino. And the Bernal family here in San Jose is very, very prominent. There's judges and lawyers and senators and all that kind of stuff. Um, okay, maybe not all those positions, but I know a judge for sure, <laughs> and an attorney general, I believe. And... That family has been here forever since, well, well before the founding of the city, even. So, 
it's worth noting that all these interesting things come together and they lend to not only my story or the story told to me rather, but to the other stories that are out there about these strange mountain folk that get really possessive when you get close to them and may do you harm. And they happen to be albino. Forgive that last little interruption there. And they happen to be albino. That's it for tonight's thing. Uh, appreciate any birthday wishes you send my way. And the only gift I could really receive is your listenership and your viewership. And I appreciate that a great deal. Sorry, the phone's going nuts in the background because it is my birthday. Uh, <laughs> so with that, I thank you for listening. Enjoy the gift I give you uh, on my birthday. Because that's the only thing that really makes sense. And uh, we'll see you next time on Paranormal Insight.